welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the UGA BCM right on campus in Athens, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Now, let's get into the text. And when I say get into the text, there is a lot. All right. Uh, Remember last week what we talked about? We talked about, or wasn't last week. Last week we didn't talk about anything, right? Uh, But before that we did, uh, we, we answered the question of who is Jesus, and we said that he's the son of David. And I told you that there was a part one to that, and then there's a part two to that. Part one, we looked at Matthew chapter one, uh, all the way down to verse 17, from verse one to verse 17. And we talked about how that Matthew was making a point when he was explaining to us that Jesus was the son of David from a genealogical standpoint, that Jesus literally physically could trace his lineage back through uh, David. And and we even talked about how that in one of the other gospels, uh, we see another account of Jesus's lineage and that in both of those, uh, most historians and theologians would agree one was through uh, his earthly father, so sort of his adopted lineage, and the other was through his, his mother. And so in both of those, we see him tracing back to David. The one here, he goes all the way back to Abraham, and the other one goes all the way back to Adam, right? And so uh, ultimately, with all of that said, there is some heavy stuff that comes along with Jesus geneo- genealogically being the son of David. Because number one, that means is Matthew chapter one, verse one says the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So number one, that means that he's not only the son of David, but he's the son of Abraham. And so he's one of God's chosen people. But also being the son of David brings with it. We talked about the right to the throne of David. And so here was Jesus who had the legal right to the throne of David. He ultimately was the king of the Jews. And so uh, in that. Uh, there's also a bunch of promises that are made to David about uh, his family, about his sons. And, and so this other dynamic that we looked at was the fact that Jesus was set up from a genealogical standpoint, from a true physical earthly standpoint, to fulfill these promises that have been made to David. Tonight, we're going to kind of twist that for just a second, and we're also going to look at not just the fact that Jesus is the son of David from a genealogical standpoint, but we're also going to look at it from this other big word, which you may not have heard as much, called a typological standpoint. All right, it's a typological standpoint. Now, when we talk about typology, really what we're talking about is how that we view prophecy in the Bible. Have you ever heard how that they say that when you take the Old Testament and you, have you ever heard this, that, that if you take the Old Testament and you look at all the prophecies that we know for a fact, we know for a fact have been fulfilled and were fulfilled based on what history tells us alone, that that would literally, if you took a bunch of pennies and you were to cover the state of Texas, it's like six feet deep or something like that, and you were to take one penny and make it a different color, and you were to get in a helicopter, and you were to like be blindfolded in a helicopter and drop something down and grab that right penny, that's the percentage uh, likelihood that all those prophecies would actually become true if it was just by chance. Anybody ever heard that? That's, that's one of the apologetic arguments that's out there to explain who Jesus is and that Jesus is real. Well, when we start talking about prophecy... Uh, sometimes that can be a scary thing to talk about. But we've got to understand that, that, remember, when we started this back a couple weeks ago, we said, here's the deal. You need to know who Jesus is. And the truth of the matter is, is that most of the world says he's a good teacher, right? Most of the world says he was probably a good man. Anybody that's historically honest will tell you there was a literal historical figure, Jesus, that existed. You cannot argue academically that away. There's more evidence about that then there's most of the things that you study in world history back in high school, all right? 
And, and so we, we, we understand that about Jesus. And some people would even say, oh, well, he's a prophet. But what we're going to see tonight is that Jesus made some crazy claims about the prophecies that he fulfilled, particularly when it re relates to how he relates to Jesus. So what I want to do first is define this term typology, and hopefully that's going to help us see as we go through a lot of Scripture tonight. I mean a lot of Scripture tonight. So you're going to have to stay with me, have your thumb ready to flip real fast, or literally I cheated because I took screenshots of all the Scripture that I'm going to quote tonight because I'm not that guy that can memorize it all. And so I literally have it right here, and I'm going to do this. See? So you don't do that because it won't work, but you can take your Bible and you can, like your Bible app, and go through it, whatever way you want to do it. Or you can just jot them down and go back and reference them later if you want to. All right? Don't take my word for it, though. At least jot them down and reference them later. And what we're going to see is all this scripture is going to point us to the fact that Jesus had to be more than just a man. He had to be. He had to be more than just a man because of what he fulfilled when it came to the king of Israel, David. So, with that in mind, what in the world does typology mean? Y'all got that on the screen? Go ahead and throw it up there. Yes, typology. This is one of the ways that we look at prophecy throughout Scripture. And ultimately, when you define typology, you got to understand that a type is a shadow or representative of something or an antitype that will come later. So here's what that means. David is a type of Jesus. Now here's the deal. For you to have a type and an antitype, one of them that shows up first has to be lesser than the one that shows up second. Y'all saying with me? Okay. If you look at a lot of the prophecies in Scripture, what you find is, has anybody ever heard this idea that sometimes prophecies in Scripture, kind of like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's kingdom. There's like a partial fulfillment, and then there's a total fulfillment later. Y'all ever heard that? All right. So a lot of times in Scripture, you have this idea of partial fulfillment, and then total fulfillment. Now, by the way, I know this may seem like I'm getting in the weeds, but I trust you guys are really smart because you're a bunch of university students. Are y'all smart? Stand with me? All right. You're going to appreciate this when I'm done. You just got to stay with me. So here's Jesus, who is an antitype of David, the type. In other words, that means the things we learn about David, the promises made to David, the prophecies that David fulfills, the prophecies that David points to, guess what? In Jesus, we're going to find someone who is greater. We're going to find someone who is greater. So as we go through this, keep that in the back of your mind. So here we have Jesus who must be greater than David. So here's the deal. How do we know that Jesus is connected to David beyond just genealogy? And how do we know he's greater? Well, give me, let me give you a couple ways. Number one, we know he's connected because the Psalms are quoted 116 times in the New Testament. I'm going to say that again. The Psalms are quoted 116 times in the New Testament. Every single Psalm that is quoted in the New Testament that is used in reference to Jesus is a Psalm that is attributed or written by, guess who? David. That's a pretty good connection, would we say? So there's some sort of importance and connection there. Number two, how do we know this? Because Matthew chapter 12, verse 42 says this. Now, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. And I, and I want to give you some text here and some background. So it begins in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them. So they're asking for Jesus to give them a sign to prove who he is. And he says, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it. 
Uh, but yet the sign of Jonah the prophet, that's the whole three days and then back up. Guess how many days Jesus was in the grave? Three, y'all got that? Verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Remember that idea of type and antitype? Remember that? So Jonah is a, is a type of Jesus. Do you see that? Because Jonah goes in the belly of the big fish, three days, boom, comes out of it. What's that point us to? It points us to a prophecy of what's going to happen to Jesus. He's going to be buried for three days and then he's going to rise again. But what Jesus himself points to, this is Jesus talking about himself. He says the generation of Jonah is going to stand up in judgment of you guys. Because when Jonah came out of the well and showed up, guess what they did? They repented. You see what I'm saying? They repented. And then notice what it says in verse 42. The queen of the south, because they might be a little confused on the Jonah thing, so it clears it up for them. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Does anybody know who they're talking about there? The queen of Sheba going to Solomon to get his wisdom. Solomon is the son of who? David. Solomon, supposedly wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth, that guy, right? Wrote a bunch of books in the Bible, right? Okay, had these magnificent gardens. Say people traveled to hear his wisdom. And then notice what Jesus says. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So literally, imagine these Pharisees and scribes asking Jesus, Jesus, show us something greater, or show us a sign. You say you who you are, show us a sign. That's what we need. And Jesus basically looks at him and says, I don't need to show you a sign. He says, an adulterous generation would look for a sign. And he says, hey, you want to hear about me? Remember Jonah? Three days in the well, or not the well, the big fish came up out of it. You learned it was a well when you were a little kid, right? It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. All right, and so listen. He says, those folks repented. But you're not, and I'm here. And he's literally telling them, I'm going to be in the earth for three days and come out. And then he says, oh, and by the way, the Queen of Sheba would also, would also have some pretty terrible things to say about you right now because she went and had conversations with Solomon. And he says, guess what? Not only is a greater Jonah standing in front of you, he says, but a greater Solomon is standing in front of you as well. Now, you wonder why those guys got so mad at him, right? Because these are the greatest religious leaders of the day. They had all this stuff memorized. And they're saying, whoa, 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 hold on. You, you just said you're who? You just said you're a greater Solomon. You just said you're a greater son of David. Well, we got an issue now because now you just said you're a son of David. So you just made a claim. You just made a claim not that you have a right to the throne, but you just made a claim that you're greater than one of the greatest to ever have the throne. So we got a problem. So Jesus himself claims in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, that he is the greatest of the sons of David. Now, why in the world does that matter? Because here's the bottom line. Go ahead and flip to the next one for me, please, if you will. Click. There we go. As the greatest son of David, there's some claims that Jesus makes, and there's some claims that others make about him. The first one that we see tonight is this, is that the greatest son of David, Jesus is the most righteous son of David. Jesus is the most righteous son of David. I, I want to read Psalm chapter 132, verse 11 and 12 to you. All right, this is one of the Psalms that we were talking about. It says this. 
The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. I will set upon your throne one from the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons will also sit upon your throne forever. So here's the promise to David. You're going to have a son, somebody that's going to come through your lineage, and he's going to sit upon your throne forever. But then there's these words that are in here. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them. David's sons, to sit upon the throne forever, had to be obedient. They had to. And the truth of the matter is, is that the only one that was obedient is the only one who was truly righteous. And that is Jesus. So when we look at this promise that's made to David, there is only one who can fulfill it. This couldn't have been talking about Solomon. This couldn't have been talking about somebody else. The only one to ever walk the face of the earth and be completely pure, completely holy, completely righteous is who? Jesus. It's Jesus. But check out this. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Psalm chapter 110 verse 4. The Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So here's what we got. We have this promise to David in Psalm 132 that you're going to have a son who's going to reign forever on the throne, but he's got to be obedient. We have the promise in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, that there's going to be a branch of David that rises up that's going to do righteousness and justice in the land. He's going to be a righteous king. And then all of a sudden, in Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, we're told about this priest, Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, to understand who Melchizedek is, you got to go to some other places in Scripture, but ultimately what we find, for sake of time, is this. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, but also the priest of the Most High God. And so, if you look at the word Melchizedek, that name actually means, my king is righteous. So here in Psalm chapter 110, what we find is that it is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the only righteous son of David. He is of the order and the lineage of not just David, but, or not the, just the lineage of David, but also of the order of Melchizedek. He's the only one that's seen as righteous, thus able to be king and priest. Right? Now here's why that's cool. Because if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, or chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, guess what the writer of Hebrews does? He confirms for us, and we're not going to read all three of those chapters. You can do it on your own. Jot it down. He confirms to us that guess what? Everything that we just read about Jesus being of the order of Melchizedek, guess what? It's true. That's what Jesus fulfilled. So Jesus, as the greatest son of David, is ultimately the most righteous son of David because really, he's the only righteous son of David. He's the only righteous son of David. But not only is Jesus the most righteous son of David, but I want you to see tonight also, Jesus is the suffering son of David. Jesus is the suffering son of David. What's crazy about this is David had a lot of suffering, didn't he? Like you go read the Psalms. You, have anybody just ever read through the Psalms? Right? You come to one Psalm and you're like, man, this is really awesome. Because it's talking about who God is and all this stuff. Then you come to another Psalm and I mean it looks like David is the most depressed individual to walk the face of the earth. Now sometimes David did it to himself because despite the fact that he was a man after God's own heart, he did a bunch of really dumb things, didn't he? We could start listing them, couldn't we? Right? But ultimately, every time David did something dumb, David would repent. David would make things right. And, and, and we see that. 
And so through the psalm, we see that David suffered. Remember, this is a guy, David, who ultimately was running for much of his adult life. Like he really was. Right? And I mean, he's, he's, he's living in caves and hiding in caves. One of my favorite stories about David is that David, I mean, this is the way David suffered, right? David is literally hiding in a cave. It's one of my favorite stories in the word, world. Saul is looking for David. King Saul's looking for David because he wants to kill David. And so King Saul is like, I got to use the bathroom. Anybody know this story? And so King Saul's like, I ain't going to use the bathroom out here because I got to, like, not number one. Y'all get what I'm saying? Right? And so King Saul goes up in this cave to take care of his business. Well, guess who's up in the cave? David. And David has a crisis because David knows he's not supposed to kill Saul. Right? And so <laughs> Saul... I guess squats. I guess that's what he would have done in the cave, right? Getting graphic now, right? Y'all with me? See why this is one of my favorite stories ever, right? He does what he needs to do. And guess what David does instead of killing him? He cuts a piece of his garment, right? He cuts a piece of his garment. I mean, that's tough. This dude's chasing you, wanting to kill you. You have a... He's in one of the most vulnerable states he can be found in, right? Y'all know what I mean? <laughs> and David still can't kill him because he's wanting to be obedient to what God wants him to do. That's tough, ain't it? Do you know, even in the midst of the suffering of David, we see it pointing to Jesus. Let me, let me show you a few ways how. Let me show you a few, a few ways how. I love this. John chapter 19, verse 24. Listen to this. This is when Jesus... Is he's been arrested, it's before he's, he's crucified. And, and, uh, and here's what it says. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. Therefore the soldiers did these things. So this is Jesus, right? He's going to be crucified. And so the soldiers, they take his garments, and, and it tells us what they do to him. That's not just some random detail. You know why that's not just some random detail? Because if you go back and you read Psalm chapter 22, guess what you'll find? You'll find they divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. You reckon Jesus knew what he, was happening there? Check this out. John chapter 19, verse 28 through 29. After this, knowing, or Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scripture would be fulfilled, said... I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a branch of hyssop, and they brought it up to his mouth. Again, seems like a detail, right? Oh, it's just a simple detail. Well, go read Psalm 69. And what you'll find is here again, Jesus is fulfilling one of the prophecies that we find in David's writings. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because remember, we said last time we were together... If you were here two weeks ago, you know this. We talked about how it was extremely interesting that how that, uh, what did they put on the sign that they put on the cross? You remember that? King of the Jews. And what did everybody yell and say? He, change it, change it, change it. He said he was the king of the Jews. And what did they do instead? If you remember, the response was, it's, it's written as it's written. Right? It's written as it's written. Can you imagine Jesus hanging between heaven and hell for you and me? 
And he says these words, I am thirsty. I'm telling you, there were people in the crowd who remembered the Psalms. And even in Jesus' last days and last moments, there's no question that something should have rang in their memory of knowing that, oh, wow, here's the guy that says king of the Jews. And that sure sounds a lot like something I read that David wrote. He's the suffering son of David. Matter of fact, Jesus quotes in Psalm 22.1, or he quotes Psalm 22.1 when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's literally something that David cried out. And in Psalm 31, when he says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Even on the cross, Jesus was fulfilling his role as the son of David. Not just of the lineage of David, but fulfilling from a typological standpoint the prophecy of David. So we see Jesus is the most righteous son of David. We see that Jesus is the suffering son of David. But then I want you to see that Jesus is the prophesied son of David. He's the prophesied son of David. It's not just David and the Psalms. Matter of fact, we can look throughout Old Testament after Old Testament prophecy and the prophets point over and over again to the coming Messiah as the son of David. Let me give you a few if I can. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. And by the way, if you were here last year, you know this is not normally how I preach. Normally we take a text and we dive into it and we tear it apart, right? But you can't miss this if we're going to know who Jesus is. It's so important. Listen to what it says. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice. This is what it says. And righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 2. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jeremiah 39, listen to this. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, and check this up, whom I will raise up for them. And then listen to what it says in Jeremiah chapter 20, uh, excuse me, Oh, I lost my spot here. See, this is what happens when you got to scroll, right? Where are we at? Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 14. Dadgummit, I was on a roll. Here we go. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch of David sprout, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Check out verse 4 and 5 of Hosea. We get to another prophet. For the sons of Israel will live for many days without a king or a leader, without sacrifice or memorial stone, without ephod or household idols. By the way, does anybody know how many years it went from the last prophet when we read Malachi till we get to Jesus coming? Anybody know? Well, really until, until John the Baptist before that. Anybody know? How many? 400 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. The Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. See, this isn't telling us that David's going to rise up. That's not what it's telling us. It's telling us a greater David. How do we know it's a greater David? Because we've read over and over again where he's righteous. We've read over and over again where he has justice, right? Like we, we, we've seen his holiness and his purity. Amos chapter 9 verse 11. 
On that day I will raise up the fallen shelter, the fallen literally home of David. And I'll wall up its gaps and I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Check out this one, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of of eternity. Now, if you can't see that that points to Jesus, we got a problem, right? Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will eliminate the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the bow of war will be eliminated. And he will speak peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. And Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 24 through verse 28. And my servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd. And they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and follow them. And they will live on the land that I gave my servant Jacob, in which your fathers live. And they will live on it, they and their sons, and their sons forever. And my servant David will be their leader forever. Look what it says. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary, check this out, is in their midst forever. Jesus had to be more than just a prophet. He had to be more than just a great man. He had to be more than just some guy that performed miracles. He had to be more than just a good teacher. Because the bottom line is this. Is that you can point to prophecy after prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament. And when you understand this concept that David and even some of the things he wrote was pointing to someone who had the right to the earthly throne, but yet was going to be greater. And it wasn't just going to be the throne of Israel, but ultimately it was going to be the throne of everywhere forever. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Then you begin to understand, wow, this is who Jesus really is. And then lastly today, I want you to see this. Jesus is the only son of David to reign forever and over all the nations. To reign forever and over all the nations. Here's what I want to do. I, I want to read Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through verse uh, 39 today. I just want to read Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through verse 39. I want to say a couple things and we're going to end. Do you all know what Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through verse 39 is a part of? Anybody? It's the sermon on the day of Pentecost that, that Peter preaches. 3,000 people get saved. This is, this is when the Holy Spirit falls. Right? So Jesus is crucified. Then Jesus is buried. Then Jesus raises from the dead. Are y'all saying it with me? Right? And then Jesus appears to his followers. Right? And then Jesus ascends into heaven. Y'all still staying with me? Right? And then they're told to go in the upper room. And they're told to pray and they're told to prepare. Are we still staying with me? And then all of a sudden, boom. Day of Pentecost happens, right? And they begin to speak in languages that everybody can understand in their own native tongues, right? And Peter preaches this sermon. It's not a very long sermon, but something really cool happens when you get down here to verse 25. 
Because in context of everything we've read about Jesus being the son of David, what we're going to find out, if you had not already caught on tonight, is it's more than just his lineage. Listen to what Peter says. For David says of him, I saw the Lord continually before me. So now here's Peter, and he's quoting Psalm again. This time he's quoting Psalm chapter 16 and also Psalm 110. Because he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue was overjoyed. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So here's Peter, and he's telling them, he's saying, Jesus, the one I'm telling you about, is the one that David spoke of. He says this, Brothers, I may confidently say to you, regarding the patriarch David, he died, he was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, this David, that I just quoted you and you think so highly of, he was talking about Jesus. But this David, he's dead. His bones are in the tomb today. So because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on this throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. He said, David is dead. His bones are in the grave. He wasn't speaking of his own resurrection. Who was he speaking of? The resurrection of the Christ. That he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor that his flesh suffered decay. It is this Jesus whom God raised up. A fact to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, since he has been exalted at the right hand of God. And has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. He has poured out this which you both see and hear. Remember they thought they were drunk. Y'all remember that? They said, hey, what you been drinking? Why are you talking to these? I don't understand. They said, we ain't drunk. Peter says, let me tell you what's going on. It was not David who ascended into heaven. He himself says, David says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make you enemies a footstool for your feet. Notice what he says. He doesn't say that David said, the Lord said to me, sit at your right hand. What's he say? The Lord said to his Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He literally looks at this group of people who are questioning what's going on, and he says as part of his argument, you remember that guy David? You remember what he said? He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about one that was greater to come. Now when they heard this, it says, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who fear away as many or who are far away as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. I want you to hear me. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the way that Peter makes it known to them 
that David wasn't talking about himself, but was talking about Jesus, is he says, David is still in the grave, but Jesus no longer is. David didn't ascend to the right hand of the Father in heaven to sit on the throne forever and ever, but Jesus did. And then we find in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, that Jesus will reign and rule forever. And everything that lives will give him blessing and honor and glory and power. Because it is Jesus who is the fulfillment of the hopes and the prophecies of Israel. But also, even into his role, or even in his role as the son of David, he is the one who not only is the hope and the fulfillment of the prophecies of Israel as the son of Abraham, but also as the son of David, he is the one who extends God's blessings to the Gentiles. Because it is David who has promised that his son will sit on the throne forever, but not just any throne. Not just any throne, but ultimately the throne that will reign over all nations. The promise that was made to Abraham to have all nations blessed through his seed. And the promise that was made to David to have his sons rule over the nation is fulfilled in the same person. That's what Peter was telling us. That's what Peter was telling them on the day of Pentecost. That person is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the true, righteous greater son of David. And how should we respond to that today? The same way that Revelation says. We should respond by giving him all of our blessing, our honor, our glory, and our praise. And we should respond in the same way that we see Peter saying that they should respond in Acts chapter 2. And that is, if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, that you would repent and turn from your sins and make Jesus today your Lord and Savior. Why? Because he deserves it. Why? Because, listen, here's the deal. He had the right to the earthly throne, did he not? We, we, we concluded that two weeks ago, right? But that wasn't enough. That would have made him no different than David. That would have made him no different than Solomon. But the bottom line is, is not only did he have the right to the earthly throne, but he had the right to the heavenly throne. Because he's not just the son of David, but we know, as we'll speak of in a month or so, he's also the son of God. And what that means is this, is that he wants to have the throne of your heart. He wants to have the throne of your heart. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords wants to be your Savior and your Lord. So my question to you tonight is simply this. If you walked in this place and you're like, man, I thought Jesus was a really awesome guy. I thought Jesus, man, he was a great teacher. Yeah, maybe he's even a prophet. Like, yeah, he's clearly a historical figure. I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me clearly tonight. The bottom line is Jesus is so much more than that. And, and Jesus was not just a guy who was born to, to, to ultimately bring back the power and all the prestige that David had as king of Israel. That wasn't the point. Matter of fact, the reason that so many people missed who Jesus was, is because that's what they were looking for. But if you read one of the prophecies that we read tonight, it actually said that basically their bow was going to be gone, their sword was going to be gone, because what was he going to bring? A different kind of kingdom, a kingdom of what? Peace and righteousness and justice. And so Jesus ultimately deserves to be the king of your heart. He's already the king of all of heaven and all of earth. Why not today make him the king of your heart?
You may be sitting here today and you say, Tommy, how do I do that? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, this is crazy. Because you just gave this crazy academic dive, and I hate doing this. Because honestly, y'all get enough of this in class, right? And some of you are like, man, I feel like I'm in a seminary. If you loved what we did tonight, then maybe you should go to seminary. I don't know. All right? But here's the point. The point is, is what I, my desire for you to see is this. Is that Jesus is who he says he is. When Jesus was on the cross of Calvary, and he said, into, my, into, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was telling us, I'm the greatest, most righteous, suffering, most sovereign son of David. That's what he was telling us. When Jesus said, I am thirsty, he was telling us the same thing. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He was telling us the same thing. Revelation tells us that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what it tells us. So why don't you do that tonight instead of waiting until it's too late? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to know more about us, visit our Instagram at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.